0: Welcome to TKG's Healthcare Insights, where we explore healthcare's critical issues, challenges, and trends with a focus on achieving the quadruple aim of enhancing patient experience, improving population health, reducing costs, and improving the work life of healthcare providers and staff. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome. We're glad to have you listening today. I'm Warren Smedley with the Kinetics Group, and today we will be continuing our look into how genetic and genomic testing have changed in recent years, how gene sequencing is impacting the delivery of cancer care, and where some of the gaps are in this specialized area of personalized medicine. This is part two of our interview with Megan Farmer, a master's trained genetic counselor and expert in helping patients understand their hereditary genetic risk profiles. Megan was the former director of the UAB Genetic Counseling Program. We worked together for several years to help provide genetic counseling services to the region as a part of the O'Neill Comprehensive Cancer Center at UAB. Today, Megan splits her time between taking care of patients at UAB and serving as the Genetic Clinical Operations Director for MyGene Council, a digital health company serving patients and providers by bridging the gap between genetic testing and precision medicine by addressing the lack of accurate and timely genetic counseling information for patients and providers. In part one of our interview, Megan provided an overview of the differences between genetic and genomic testing, and what physicians are looking for when ordering a test. She also highlighted some of the challenges with the massive amount of genetic data that comes from the testing, and how that needs to be interpreted by physicians, and how overwhelming that can be. In this episode, Megan begins by sharing her thoughts on how well patients understand what they're consenting to when a physician orders one of these tests. Let's pick up where we left off. Do you think the patients understand what they're consenting to?
1: I really I really don't, um, at least not on the tumor genome profiling side. And I think because in, in the past, you know, your physician recommends a test, they order the test, and a lot of us don't sign a, a consent form. It's just kind of a verbal consent. And if we do, we don't really go through the fine print. I mean, I think about how often I just click accept of terms and conditions without really reading them. And with something as complicated as tumor genome profiling, it also might be an uncomfortable experience for the oncologist to try to break that down in an understandable way. So I don't, it just doesn't, I don't think it's happening. And I, I mentioned this story to Warren before, you know um, I have a family member who has cancer and recently had tumor genome profiling and was attending an appointment with him. And the provider didn't realize that I was a genetic counselor. But the nurse came in the room and handed my grandfather, um, his tumor genome profiling report and said, here's your genetic test results. And he didn't, and then walked out and my grandfather had no idea what he was looking at, um, handed it to me. I explained to him what it meant. And then when the oncologist came in, he also, no, didn't really explain it because he didn't need the results that day based on what his decision was for next steps. And I think that's a really common patient experience. So I keep that in mind, not just as a genetic counselor, but as someone who works for a digital health, digital health company, thinking about, you know, what can I create that I can put in the hands of that oncologist and patients like my grandfather so that the next time everyone has understandable information.
2: I think that's so important, and one of the things that struck me the first time I interacted with a genetic counselor was just how comprehensive and and thorough the evaluation, the assessment, but also the explanation of what it is that we're looking for before you even do the blood work or do the testing was, and I know that as a patient, as a caregiver of the patient as well, there was a lot of time invested in that, which I imagine factors into the access and not having enough genetic counselors to go around. But also, you know, from a patient experience side of things, how cared for you feel about and you feel like of all this chaos within the medical continuum of care that someone stops and, and really strips it down to the foundational elements to look at your precise need. And I, I would imagine that that's probably the same experience lots of patients have with genetic counselors. I would imagine that that's the difficult part is if you can't be everywhere at every time trying to figure out how to, in a very busy clinical oncology setting,
1: mm-hmm.
2: provide resources or, or, you know, teach the teacher, if you will.
1: Absolutely. So I think about, you know, what were the good experiences you had with your genetic counselor? How did they explain things in a way that you could understand and kind of gave you, you know, some relief that suddenly things weren't going over your head anymore. You, ex- you knew exactly what test you had had. How can I help oncologists do that if i can't be in the room right how can i break information down in an online format so that they have the words to say to their patients and their patients have words and pictures and diagrams to help them get it all if i can't be there and by doing that if we are supporting physician initiated testing with the provider that they trust and suddenly that experience is better then suddenly genetic counselors may be involved in fewer pre-test sessions and instead, you know, we're freed up to be one-on-one with the patients who have complex results, you know, positive test results, so that we can give that kind of caring one-on-one experience to the people who need it most, who've got something detected that's that's pathogenic or harmful.
2: That's wonderful.
0: Megan, you mentioned something to me in another conversation that there may be some physicians that are really they don't know what to order so they don't order anything they're afraid of ordering mm-hmm. uh, and so they just kind of stay away they're afraid of the liability they're afraid of how they would manage and keep up with the information over time they're afraid of how to explain it to a patient so they just ignore it and don't don't order anything at all have you seen that in your in your work
1: i have seen it i, I would imagine you know more of my experience has been on the hereditary side i was actually talking with someone who who talk to primary care providers about how they approach it. If a patient comes to them and says, I have a family history, I'm interested in genetic testing that normally they find a reason to shut the conversation down. They say things like, Oh, it's expensive. You probably, you know, don't, don't want to do that. You probably wouldn't have insurance coverage for it because they just don't know what the next steps should be. I think on the oncology side, you know, the labs are giving a lot of resources in terms of tools for how to identify patients that might qualify for testing and, you know, websites that make um, which tests might be best a little bit easier to identify. And then certainly guidelines are helping. But an oncologist needs to know that at the other side of that, they're going to be given guidance on what does this mean? And what can I do about it? And then if you're talking about hereditary genetics, we're thinking about that patient for the rest of their life and not just the cancer they have now, but maybe future cancer risk. So I think a lot of focus has been put on the pre-test side and identifying resources that will help us detect or to help us determine which patient to test and help us determine which test to offer. But for some reason, everyone has stopped at the test result when precision medicine is really starting at the test result. That's the beginning of the journey for that patient. It's not the end of it. So we need to figure out how to increase access to information on the other side of that for both the patient and provider in a way that keeps them up to date so they're not dealing with not just liability but from patients just not benefiting from the genomic data we have access to
0: Can you talk about about the updates and the upkeep that you you mentioned in before before we started today's recording mm-hmm. you mentioned uh the need to keep up with patients as things change
1: Absolutely so The way the traditional genetic counseling model has worked for many years is you see a genetic counselor maybe one time. We have an in-depth discussion about what genetic test um, you're going to be offered, make sure that you understand what it is, potential test results, what it could mean for you and for relatives. When results come back, we either have another in-person appointment or maybe that result gets called out by phone. And then we say, now please call me back every year so I can keep you up to date on what we're learning about disease risks and as management guidelines change. And I know that patient's never going to call me back. Um, I say it's sort of as a, a CYA and also because maybe I hope the patient will, but they're not going to. And then I send a result letter to their physician and that result letter says, you know, please periodically, you know, check in with the Department of Genetics because guidelines constantly change. And I know that provider is not going to call me back. They're going to be managing that patient potentially with a three-year-old result letter. Um, and so that patient's not benefiting from our... The advances in knowledge when it comes to disease risk and management guidelines tied to genetic variants. And so I went from thinking every patient who has genetic testing should see a genetic counselor, and every patient has that access because if they can't see them in person, they can see them by telehealth. I went from that to thinking there's just no way. Like we have to find a digital connection to patients and providers over the long term. And my mentors actually started my Gene Council, which is a digital health company. And what we do is, in addition to providing you know that pre-test information that helps patients understand the testing that they're getting in an online form, we also provide post-test living lab reports that are by gene and variant, so that you know if information changes in six months or six years, you know we can recontact that patient and their provider by email or text and let them know, hey, there's a new cancer known to be a, um, associated with this condition, and you should have X Y Z screening, or Again, you know, the testing technologies have changed. Your testing was negative, you know, four years ago, but now you should talk to your provider about this test. And so suddenly we do care about the ever after and the promise of precision medicine can really be delivered on.
0: You're filling a much needed gap, which is great. There's a lot of gaps in this area. And that's really what Sarah and I are most concerned about is helping to fill the gaps, these gaps that are out there.
2: Absolutely. I agree, Warren. This is an area that even as a healthcare professional, it's hard to stay, like you said, even as a genetic counselor, it's very hard to stay up up to speed with it. And I, I was sharing with Warren in our preparation for speaking with you about the 14-page report that I have that talks about the way my my body metabolizes certain medications and the different genetic components of that. And three years later, four years later, I'm still going back to that 14-page anytime myself or my daughter is prescribed a medication to see if it's on that this may be good for you list, this is one you need to avoid, and not truly understanding, you know, where is that one source of information to go and get those updates. So how would someone, do you work directly with patients? Do you work, it sounds like you do some work directly with providers, but how, how do people connect with this organization to, to be able to get those updates?
1: Well, my gene council is mostly B2B, and we have a we have our clients are in many different areas. So it could be a health system that wants to provide living lab reports for their patients and their providers. It could be a lab that wants to differentiate themselves from other labs by saying, not only are we going to give you this test result that's kind of a snapshot in time, but we're going to give access to a living lab report so that their customers, the providers, know how to use information and the patients can benefit as well. You could even see a payer potentially being a client because payers want to see um, these genetic test results appropriately used. I am involved with an online case series with Precision Oncology News where we publish on errors in genetic testing and how the information is used. I'm also an author on um, a series of publications on on challenges in genetic testing, and we'll sometimes see people, you know, performing surgeries that are based on um, genetic variants of uncertain significance, which is not appropriate. You should only um, perform risk-reducing surgeries if there's pathogenic variants or positive results. And so not only is that damaging for a patient, but, and of course, liability for the Uh, physician performing that surgery, but that also means the payers often paying for that surgery. So we have all this discussion about waste and many people trying to kind of save money by limiting genetic testing, but we're not seeing a lot of, um, of effort and trying to save money on how we use those test results and and making sure that we're not doing, having inappropriate interventions. So you could see where even a payer may say, wait a minute, I want all of my physicians or all the physicians, all the uh, payers uh, or the patients who are members to have access to living lab reports so that they're getting the right management and we're not paying for something that they don't
2: need. That's a really good point.
0: Was there an uptick after the Angelina Jolie experience? Was there a big uptick in people wanting to get tested or have these surgeries that may or may not be appropriate based on their pathology?
1: Absolutely. And actually, just that whole couple years was really tumultuous in genetics. So um, you might remember that the BRCA patents actually fell around that time. So suddenly we could order BRCA testing in these multi gene panels from the same lab, which we couldn't do in the past. And then Angelina Jolie shared her testing as well so overnight we we're seeing you know almost a quadrupling of demand in some offices because genetic testing suddenly became kind of a household topic and many patients did say well you know if i have the angelina jolie gene you know i want to have my breast and ovaries removed when there may be screening options at least on the breast side or and they may even have a pathogenic variant or mutation in another gene where that's not appropriate and so that's where we can see some errors is that Patients are demanding these surgeries, and the providers don't understand the results, they might treat everything like BRCA one and two, even though they're certainly moderate risk genes where that type of intervention is not appropriate.
0: Very interesting, Megan. Are there other gaps that you're that you think could perhaps be improved through education and awareness? Sarah and I do a lot of work with our customers. Our clients, building awareness, trying to help connect dots where there are gaps like this. Can you think of things that that could be done?
1: I mean, we know we're under testing um, on the hereditary side and potentially on the somatic or tumor testing side too. Um, So even though these thresholds for testing are dropping, that doesn't mean that the testing is actually happening. So we know that, you know, for instance, ovarian cancer patients, they should all be offered Germline genetic testing and somatic testing can be really appropriate for um, treatment decision making, but you know less than thirty percent of them, and then by some estimates more, are actually getting genetic testing. And it's even worse when you compare white to minority patients. And so you're saying, you know, is it because those patients are at centers where they're less likely to be offered the testing to begin with? Are they expecting patients to ask for this testing? Is it being declined? And so there's research looking at kind of where these disparities are coming from, but it's really bad for patients and it's bad for science when, when genetic testing isn't done in diverse populations, both on kind of the patient care side, but also for research purposes.
0: Very good. Well, this has been an outstanding discussion. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, to work with us on this, to help us cover these gaps. Sarah, thank you for your contribution and being part of this. It's been a great discussion. It's critical for all of us to gain a better understanding of how to position ourselves so that we can achieve together the quadruple aim of enhancing patient experience, improving population health, reducing costs, and improving the work life of healthcare providers and staff. I know Sarah and I have dedicated our careers to finding ways to help patients overcome the burdens and challenges of a cancer diagnosis. Thank you, Megan, for being a part of that mission as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, This is such an exciting time, and all of us uh, with roles in oncology care really have a responsibility to determine how we can make genetic information more accessible and understandable And I love having conversations with groups like the Kinetics Group who really
2: are forward thinking about how we can
1: deliver on the promise of precision medicine.
2: This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Megan. And and thank you for your dedication to the patients and, and to the science behind this that's going to undoubtedly continue to drive better outcomes for our patients.
0: Thank you so much, Megan. We certainly appreciate your insights today. Well, that wraps up another week of TKG's Healthcare Insights. Thank you for joining us. We welcome your suggestions, ideas, and requests for podcast topics of interest. Please email us at oncology at the and write Insights Podcast in the subject line. Thank you. Have a safe and healthy day. You have been listening to TKG's Healthcare Insights, a program produced by the TKG Oncology team of the Kinetics Group. TKG Oncology empowers life science companies to effectively engage with health system and payer customers by developing strategies and real-world solutions aimed at impacting the right patient at the right time with the right care. We also work directly with health systems and payers to address the critical issues of our time. We would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at tkgoncology.com. Thank you for joining us today.